Kia ora and welcome to episode 121 of the Stag Raw. A uh, bit of follow-through here. We've got Duncan Hum, the legend from NZ Farming, um, to come and talk to us, have an epic yarn with him about the deer industry, which, as you all know, is one of my absolute passions. And then, of course, uh, NZ Farming pages, Instagram and Facebook. Check them out. It's so much fun. Um, if you're around the world, you'll catch some absolute legends out there in our rural communities. And if you're a Kiwi, be a bit more in touch with what goes on there uh, basically behind this country and some of the things that awesome people are doing uh, around this country outside of the cities. So, yeah, I love following their page. It's bloody awesome. And uh, hope you enjoy this chat. Duncan's an absolute champ. And, um, yeah, getting what the people have asked for, getting them on board. So, bloody awesome. Enjoy. Kia ora, everyone. Um, we've followed through, which is wicked. Got Duncan Hum on board from New Zealand Farming. Um, he's a man after my own heart, actually. He's sitting with the door open in a deer shed with uh, potentially roaring stags in the background. Drinking a spates as well. Oh, it's all on. <laughs> Duncan, what did you do on the weekend, mate? What did I do? Well, on Saturday... I was going to have an early start in the deer shed here, um, just trenching and vaccinating some uh, my velvet, uh, yeah, my velvet fawns. So um, they were needing two drenches and two vaccines away up, and then I was also having a bit of a tag audit with the entire velvet uh, breeding mob as well. So that was going to be Saturday morning's job, but it was a bit drizzly again. So. I actually just played with the girls at home, um, had a bit of dad time, which was cool. And then uh, after lunch, got onto the deer and then ripped through that for what it took me all afternoon. And then um, after that, I ditched the deer because the girls, yeah, the girls were going out to the ballet on Saturday night. So I was like, stop it. I'll chuck my paddle board on the ute. And I went up, shot up to the lakes up here for a paddle on uh, Lake Heron. So, that was sort of my night, really. And then Sunday was ah, just a few farm jobs, catching up and odd jobs and that sort of thing. So on the whole, I'd say it was a pretty good weekend. Nice. I always, you know, as I said to Kane, you know, it's pretty stupid asking a farmer what you did last weekend, but how important is getting off the farm and um, doing something like, in your case, going for a hoon on the motorbike or... or yeah, going for a, for a paddleboard, bloody awesome. Yeah, it's um, been really important um, like these last few months because it's been so flipping dry here that um, it's pretty damn depressing just going out around the farm because all you're doing <laughs> is feeding out, feeding out silage, and uh, we've you know we've had to oh, I've been feeding out. I think I've bought two unit loads of silage in so far, and that's quite. Um, Demoralising every time you go out feed out, there's like another few hundred bucks spat out in the paddock and it's gobbled up just like that. So um, doing stuff, I've been probably getting a bit behind on the maintenance jobs around the place just because it's better just to, it'll all still be there. We'll just get through and um, catch up with that stuff later. But yeah, try to have a bit of get off the place and have plenty of family time and mm. um, just to try and keep on an even keel really. Yeah, mate, as someone that's uh, investing in your capital stock, and I don't know how excited you got in December and January, but what is a uh, drought do to your thinking? <laughs> um, well, yeah, we've been playing a bit of a dangerous At the start of the season, we're playing a bit of a dangerous game because we're trying to um, build up our stock numbers. So we're trying to build up our stags um, as well as yeah, sort of build up our numbers because we're sort of hoping to take on a bit more land really soon. Wicked. Um, and so we're sort of needing to make sure we've got a heap of stock on hands that when we do move out and expand, we've got the numbers to do that. And I said, I said to Lorna at the start of the year, I was like, we're playing a dangerous game because if it goes dry, we're um, going to be in a spot of bother and sod's floor. Um, that's where we've ended up, so... But we'll just, yeah, battle on through and um, try to make some good decisions and minimise the damage, really. Yeah. 
Mate, and uh, you mentioned Lorna's name there, and I've had the privilege of meeting your lovely wife. What's it like having a uh, at-home animal health uh, uh, expert to, to guide you through looking after such valuable animals? Well, if anyone out there is considering it, um, if you think it's going to be cheaper, uh, <laughs> <again>. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's been fantastic. Like, obviously, we've been together right through when she wasn't even a vet. Um, um, I think we went on our first date, I think, the day she found out she got into vet school. So, um, yeah, it's been a bit of an adventure together. And, um, and then now she is, you know, a very experienced vet and consultant. Um, it's really cool to have that sounding board and if I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing to get pulled into line with the latest data and latest, you know, the latest tools and, um, yeah, we're hopefully making some good decisions on the whole. Awesome. Mate, um, not many people in this country know much about the deer industry and I absolutely love it and I'm stoked that the resources are available. Um, for anyone who's interested, but um, what do you think is hugely important and beneficial and what do you get out of uh, the likes of advanced parties and, and next generation deer farming and, and the conferences? Yeah, well, unfortunately, just with my line, you know, all my pies that I've got fingers in, I really struggle to get to conferences. Um, but luckily, the deer industry um, generally really good like the annual conference the deer industry conference is always live streamed so usually also the downside to being a, a deer vet's husband is she has to go to the conferences for work and i have to miss out and stay home so um it's not often we get to go to those sort of things together mm -hmm. and uh, our advance party quite often joke they go are you guys actually married because you always seem to turn up separately and disappear separately and Half the time, we, we, quite, we quite often get into the heat of debates um, as we do for well, robust discussions. And uh, yeah, the rest of the advanced party cons sometimes are left ducking for cover or leave it, which is quite funny, but, but it's pretty cool. Awesome, mate. So I don't really know why I love deer so much. I think it's um, being exposed to an absolute legend in Northern Southland, Peter Allen. Um, or maybe just growing up in Southland, those majestic animals are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And I get always really get really disappointed when I see a high fence with with cows or sheep in behind it, mate. What what for you uh, tickles your fancy about these um, sometimes fragile but amazing animals? Yeah, well, they're definitely. Um, I think probably the biggest thing I always tell like um, guys and like the like the next gen program and stuff like that that. Um, you know, talking to young shepherds and stuff that are getting into it, I try to sort of not sugarcoat it for them because it is, can be bloody hard work. Um, but for me, even though it is hard work um, sometimes, um, it's that challenge. Like, it's a real, um, it really sorts out, I'm not going to say men for the boys, but it really sorts out the people with a natural stock ability. And um, if you if you, you know, like if you show a bit of fear around them, or you're not confident, um, or you just lack some really good stock sense, um, they will they will punish you for it. Mm. <laughs> Which is uh, now and and it's you know it sounds it sounds a bit rough to say that, but um, that's sort of a double-edged sword. It's pretty exciting sometimes um, what they how they test you out. Um, so it's a real good challenge, I think. Like, not everybody's cut out for it. Um, but at the same time, you have your easy days as well, that everything goes like clockwork and they'll do what they're supposed to do. and That's pretty cool. But and, uh, when, you, when you're really tested, um, they, yeah, they can be a real challenge. And, and that, that's the challenge that makes it awesome fun. Um, yeah, so that's, I'd love to say it was the money. But <laughs> not always the money. <laughs> yeah. Now I've been um, super lucky. Like I did the, when Telford was doing it, the level three certificate, and that was pretty much through every module you did was talking about husbandry and guiding them and being calm and in control. And then had the privilege of um, 
scoring some four-year-olds with, with Todd Crowley in the Waikato and, and doing a little bit of stuff with um, Bill Robinson when he was at Raroa started now in the Hawks Bay visiting Grant Charteris. And the first time when you get in the deer shed and, and even with, with a guy that was at Landcorp down south and helping him um, draft some some yearling animals one time, it's just that, yeah, it's a combination of fear and excitement and anything could happen. And that's without, well, yeah. screwing the four-year-olds was big boys, but... Todd, Todd was sure to get them in the crush before we, we got our hands on it to give him a hand. Um, what, what do yep. you sort of think about um, the industry and its sort of three or four parts Velvet Trophy and, and of course, that delicious venison? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, as an industry, it's, I think it's pretty good that um, there's lots of room, you know, people, generally, especially like the older guys, too, are really into. Um, trying to bring in young people and get them going on it. That's um, yeah, that's pretty, you know pretty cool. Like no one's well, not yeah, no one's really sticking their head in the sand over it, and it's a big issue going forward. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean it's a pretty cool industry. Like you think a very small industry like the deer industry, um, you'd be pretty exposed uh, risk wise. But there's actually quite a few um, within deer farming. There's yeah, like you say, there's so many different avenues you can be down um, with it, you know, just on velvet, you know, obviously you've got your trophy and your um, uh, more your velvet side and then um, the venison side, then you can be, you know, breeding, finishing, stud stock. Um, so, you know, we're, you know, we're pretty complicated here with our system that we're sort of running at the moment. So we've sort of got a, a foot in each camp, uh, except for trophy. But... Um, yeah, so it's definitely within a very small industry. There's you know many different profit, um, yeah, profit streams and income streams, and um, yeah, so it can keep it pretty interesting, pretty fresh. Yeah, and, and so um, I, for the first time, went to a, a velvet sale this year. Um, the Wilkins guys have a have a stud sale up here, and you know you, it'd be easy to get carried away when you see that. BV on their um, uh, on on their list that has a pretty good uh, velvet genetics, but there's, there's this massive bodied eastern. Um, how do you keep yourself in a lane? As you said, you're doing a little bit of complicated things and crossing over a little bit, but um, yeah. how do you, how do you get not carried away? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's pretty easy to get sucked into thinking you've got to spend a heap of money um, to go anywhere. But again, coming back to that stock sense and being able to sort of pick out animals um you don't necessarily obviously spending lots of money can increase your chances increase your odds but uh, at the same time um there's been a lot of good stags over the years picked out from what other people would consider trash and uh, especially in the velvet that's just sort of that's just about more art than science and you, you get talking to those real good guys about how the you know stags that i've picked out over the years especially when they know um, know their animals so well that like we we have quite a bit to do with uh, a guy just down the road from here from us here, Craig Coburn, who's got a pure uh, warning stud, and he knows every animal inside, outside, back to front, and um, a lot of his progeny are here uh, in our velvet genetics. And when you he'll come and have a you know he always he's always keen to come and look at how the next crop of stags are coming on, and we'll go out and sit in the paddock with binoculars and. You'll go, right, who was that one's mother? So you tell it and as best you can. And he goes, oh, yeah, no, I remember, I remember her father when he was a yearling. And, um, yeah, it's um, pretty amazing, the knowledge that are in, that's inside people's heads. And then when you make that up with some science and some numbers as well, um, that's where we're seeing it. It's probably one of the most exciting things about the deer industry compared to sheep and beef and dairy is there's just so much untapped gains where just, you know, that pendulum's just really going and the inertia's really cranking up. And um, if you get it right, there's some big, big gains to be had. And it's, um, yeah, pretty intoxicating and pretty exciting to see all these animals coming through. And, yeah, like you say, it'd be pretty cool to go to these sales with the, these pretty big checkbooks the big guys have um, and buy something really nice out of the catalogue but uh, 
you got to do the best you can with what you've got. So, um, yeah. yeah. And um, someone in your neighbourhood, Graham Carr, with, with Peel Forest Estate, um, what do you think it's doing for the industry, having someone that's willing to um, front up with the checks and, and push the science and get all the data out there? Um, what do you think that does for raising the standard and, and as you say, meaning that as the... I guess you're a consumer of, of studs, uh, if you put it that way. What does it do for you yeah. and, and your confidence, I guess? Um, yeah, well, going forward, you know, it's always cool to watch them um, with what they're up to down there. And um, and a lot of those stud guys, um, you know, like they're, the rate of gain they're getting with everything they're doing, obviously, Peel Forest are doing a lot of the embryo transfers and a lot of semen and... Um, like the the rate of progression is just so fast, and if you're buying half or decent stags at their sales, um, you know everyone's benefiting from that. Um, and you know those guys need to be well well rewarded because they're putting in some pretty but you know like you you think about how much they make out of a sale, but like what they've invested over the years in genetics and trial and error and um, yeah, to get to where they are now, it's been a massive investment in time and energy and money. Um, and luckily, we're all benefiting from that now. And, you know, we can even think just like here on our farm, where, you know, where we started from and where we're at now, and hopefully where we're heading, um, that's pretty exciting. Uh, yeah. The gains that can be had, so even on our tiny budget. So. Nice. Is that you said Craig? Craig, was it that has the Warnham stud? Yeah, Craig Coburn, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've always wondered, sort of after the sale, um, when you, you know, you take your stag home or you take your um, capital stock Heinz home, what what is the inter- interaction like, and how much do they want to know the performance, and, and and what data they do they want back, or is it basically yeah. you, you you're running your own farm now? <laughs> yeah, well, no, they're always pretty as long as things are going well. They're pretty keen to come. Um, have a look and see how you're doing. And I think, yeah, after we bought the last couple of stags out of Bill Forest, uh, back when Steve was there, um, they'd always try to come around in the winter and see you and um, sit around the table and sort of know, or, or even go out around the paddock and see how they're looking. And um, they always like to know that the stags have done well. And the first thing, whenever you bump into them, they're like, oh, I had your scanning go. And, um, how, you know, how did how that stag settle in and that sort of thing. So it's... Um, yeah, they keep they keep a pretty good finger on the pulse as to what stock that they've turned out the gate, how yeah. well they go. So, um, and obviously they need that feedback going back into the breeding program to know that what they're churning out is actually shaping up to be half decent. So, mm. and while we're on the topic of Peel Forest and of course Parma as well, um, how, would, you, would you be a deer milker? <laughs> <laughs> Well, no. no. <laughs> uh, you have to, yeah, I mean, I've been up, um, we're lucky here, it's not the Langcorp um, guys, but the deer milkers, um, which is um, Graham Carr and, and co just up the road here at Lincoln Hills um, that are milking deer as well. And I've been up to see their operation. And it's just, you know, it's just that classic pioneering, trailblazing attitude that's, rife through the deer industry and you know those guys that really set it up and it's just the next progression from you know 30 years ago those guys were jumping out of helicopters catching wild deer and now they're investing big time and money into trying to milk them and get another the next big thing um the next big industry going so um i watch with interest um and i'd love to be able to milk them um I say to a lot of people, I bag my hinds once a year, you know, get the wet dries out at tagging time and uh, bagging them once a year is one, one time too many. So mm. um, I really, yeah, it's so much respect for what they're trying to do because it's not um, not for the faint-hearted at all. So um, Yeah, and especially if you've got a, you know, drought-like conditions, that one that hasn't performed for a year that might, you know, Carrying on and, and give you a set of, or how old have some of your yeah. ones been? 16, 17, 18, 19. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so I mean, like the milk, you know, milking genetics, that's like a whole other untapped 
um, whole other untapped thing to figure out. And again, those guys that are milking deer, um, they're going to make some massive improvements over the you know next few years. You know, as they're figuring, you know, they're honing in on the genetics that are good for, you know, which hinds are good and which you know obviously you need a good temperament and uh, really start to narrow down and then get down to like you know which hinds are producing better daily and finding out all those things that um, yeah the rate of regression is just mind blowing. Yeah, and of course the the byproducts of that, whether it's what makes a good cheese, what components, you know, what proteins and fats out of the milk makes good cheese, and then um, mm-hmm. what what the guys from Palmy, what makes good beauty products. It's it's super fascinating, and I I sort of um, when Billy was uh, you know, a few months old and having issues with with putting on weight and, and reflux and stuff, I was looking at. Um, what is it? Uh, a milk to consume, and I was thinking, man, why don't we have a uh, baby formula made out of out of deer's milk? I think I think that'd be the go. So they were yeah. they, they were a bit tight lipped on their product, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately, with with all due respect, they had a lot of intellectual property. But yeah, yes. if, if anyone out there, you know, what's a what's a market avenue? That might be one too. <laughs> well, if you want to if you want to come down, I'll run someone to the crush for you. you know, <laughs> Uh, you well, might not have any teeth left when you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did watch that country calendar. They what were they milking them through the wall, basically holding. Yeah, them. <laughs> yeah. that was yeah, that was the guys up here at Lincoln Hills, and um, I've been lucky enough to be out there and see them see it done and taste some milk straight out of the vat. And oh, is, if you ever get the chance to try it, it is just the most amazing thing you'll ever taste. It's um, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. So. Yeah. Mate, you, you brought up the fact that the deer industry sort of early early 70s, those first licences came about and, and it turned this seek and destroy market into a potential gold mine. And um, even Pete telling me about the first deer he bought and then it got uh, whatever that is, that disease that, you, that they get from sheep and, and he found the two of them dead in the, dead in the paddock. He was absolutely heartbroken. But... Um, yes. You know, you you speak about this this cavalier mentality, and, and you and I have romanticised those um, deer wars videos, guys jumping out of out of helicopters with net guns and, and stuff. Yeah. Uh, is that is that part of what resonates with you? Just the madness. <laughs> well, it is because, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I mean, I, if I was born back in that time, I'd oh, I'd love to have a go. But um, yeah, but I think you know, such a terrible shot. For a start so I wouldn't make it and I'm pretty slow at gutting anything and um, I've had to wrestle a oh we had a fawn get out here one time we were tagging somehow got over the fence and I chased it all around the village up here and <laughs> ended up in a mile of heifers like two farms away and it was an absolute debacle and I was like well as I was chasing it around the paddocks I was like well these guys used to jump out of helicopters and I'm just on a four-wheeler and it's just a little fawn so this should be easy so bulldogged it off the four-wheeler and got a absolute kicking and in the end I gave up on and let him go again and went home and got some um, got the syringe pole and some drugs and come back and <laughs> did, it, did it that way instead so um, but yeah so I think and it's one thing I try to tell a lot of people is that's the greatest conservation story ever told in my book and to take what was you know, New Zealand was at the point of ecological disaster, quite literally, to turn that into an absolute win for the environment by hunting them so ruthlessly with helicopters um, to the point where they had to start farming them um, is just the greatest, you know, I think that's the greatest story ever told. And, you know, when you read the stories and the books and see the videos, it's just how can you not get intoxicated by that? That's pretty cool. Yeah, and you hear the horror stories about Robinsons, but um, having had a, a short half an hour flight on one of those things, I could see why they're pretty addictive. I'd, I'd uh, love to do a few more flights and, and learn how to properly operate one of those things. And then, yeah, same here. It's a, definitely a bucket list thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but then you watch those those guys in uh, Northern Territory, Australia, and you think maybe, hang on, maybe I don't want to fly one of those things or, or hear the horror stories of fly, flying over cliff faces in Fiordland and being sucked, sucked, sucked flat into it. Yeah, you kind of think, well, maybe yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> but then you see, you see how those guys, uh, especially over in Aussie, how they torture those little R22s, and you think, well, surely flying in a straight line should be pretty safe. But, um, so... <laughs> No, no, it's it's uh, it's pretty crazy, but yeah, um, definitely adds to the romance of what is such a cool industry by my bias perspective. Um, yeah, mate, you've got uh, some of the the um, the fanfare on there. The NZ Farming jumper, of course, people can buy their own. Is that right? The, the store's in stock yeah. at the moment. <laughs> yeah, we've got a wee bit of a store going. It was. Um, yeah, just handy. I love this bloody thing because it's, you know, it's a bit quite, you know, even though we're only just out of summer, she's a pretty cool night. Yeah. Here, so it's, um, yeah, the old merino possum is um, bloody good. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool how it sort of come about. We never really set out to have a merchandise store or anything, but you just sort of always have these people asking you for it and, oh, can you, you know, could you get me one and this, that and the other. So, and then we're like, oh, well, We'll, you know, we'll do a couple of runs and see how it goes and surely we'll sell 10 jerseys and the fad will run out but it just seems to truck on quite nicely and um, people are getting into it so it's cool. Absolutely, so tell us mate, how did NZ Farming on Facebook start out? What was the pain or the excitement that thought, oh, you know, let's give this thing a go? <laughs> well, so the genesis of it really was uh, Tyler, who started it day one. He was a shepherd in the back blocks of Wanganui somewhere on a farm, pretty isolated. And he was sitting in his wee accommodation one night, feeling like, well, oh, I could really do to go to the pub. And he was, you know, having a bit of a tough time. You know, it was his first shepherding job and, you know, sort of struggling a wee bit to sort of find his feet with it. And sort of felt he needed someone to talk to almost. So he was mucking around on Facebook, probably chatting up girls knowing him. And, um, <laughs> and then he saw the same start page and he thought, oh, well, what if, yeah, what if? So he sort of kicked it in the guts with the idea of just bouncing a few ideas around and get a few people to have a bit of a yarn with sort of thing online. And obviously there's plenty of other shepherds and people isolated places that um yeah sort of got into it and that's sort of the way it went so that was i guess the key driver to start the facebook page was yeah just providing a bit of a platform for both you know tyler himself and then other people just jumped on board um and got into it so um yeah away she went yeah and that was that was about six years ago now, after six or seven years ago now, so. Yeah. Yeah. It does sound about right. I think it was when I first moved to Christchurch, it entered my sphere. Um, yep. Back when Facebook used to feed you good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a different point. Different yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. And um, so how did you get involved? Well, funnily enough, like not long after that started, I mean, it started growing pretty, back in those days, if you had, 10,000 followers, you were big time, mm. and it pretty quickly got to that point. And I think it was around about there somewhere that um, my day job, we were looking for someone to uh, help load the planes uh, that summer. And so I was like, oh, we could chuck an ad on that bloody NZ farming thing and see if we could turn up someone. So I chucked in a message to um, this NZ farming thing, and then about five seconds later, Tyler messaged me back and was like, oh, you and I'll be keen on that job. And <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I said, like, right, cool. Well, um, so I sorted him out, got him up for an interview and uh, he got the job. And so we started yarning because obviously we'd had a few interactions uh, on Facebook um, over the page already. So we kind of were aware of who we were and uh, that sort of thing. And then, uh, so, yeah, he came up and worked with us over that summer and, um, yeah, away she went. We got on like a house on fire. And um, back then, when social media was a bit more of the wild west, he was sort of this young 
I think he wasn't even 20, I think, at that stage. So the young fellow was getting himself in sort of quite a few um, predicaments and that sort of thing. And I sort of had this knack of helping him put out a few fires. And um, yeah, sort of got into it that way, really. And away we went. And next thing I was an admin as well. And yeah, away we went. Yeah. So how many, how many admins are there now? Um, yeah, well, we've got quite a few because we've got quite a few we sub pages, um, you know, as well as in, you know Instagram and um, a few offshoot pages. So we've got a wee trading page, uh, wow. jobs page, uh, fencing page, contracting <laughs> page. Might, that's might um, be where I have to go after my uh, little fencing excursion last week. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, um, yeah. So sort of amongst uh, and amongst all those people, I think we're. Over all those wee platforms, we've sort of probably got about a dozen of us at least all up, and we sort of um, because we're all you know busy working people. Some of us get busy you know with carving or velveting and that sort of thing, and so we can't sort of do too much. So we sort of we can sort of come and go a bit, um, and uh, yeah, sounds pretty cool. The people that have sort of come into it. Oh, you know, just sort of, it's been a pretty organic sort of process. Um, and yeah, we've tripped over some pretty cool people that have come in yeah. and helped us out. And yeah, so it's now this pretty big network of mates doing, yeah, I think some pretty cool stuff from time to time. Yeah, I've uh, managed to find some of my favourite uh, Instagram follows through NZ Farming. Um, obviously, Kane came along through yep. that. and. and and Lisa Tarmody, but you know, turns out I'd been following Kane all along through you guys and um, yeah, the fellas down there at Rybush with with their their sheep operation, especially around lambing time, their their yeah. lambing lambing sheds something to behold. Um, and yeah, pl- yeah. It, it, like the genesis there, plenty of people out the back blocks of, of nowhere, just working in some of the most incredible scenery and, and sharing it with the world and, and showing us and the rest of the world where New Zealand's food really comes from because. Um, yeah, sheep and beef industry and, and venison industry are pretty lucky in some of the places they get to hang out. And would you not say? Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, it's amazing, like with camera phone technology, and um, you know how easy it is to carry a decent, professional quality camera in your pocket and catch these moments. And I think both. I mean, most people who work on on the land, you know, can realise that. Um, but sometimes it is pretty hard when you're grafting away. You do forget just how bloody fantastic it is when you look up and take a look around. Um, so I think that's yeah, pretty cool that there's so many people, especially on Instagram. Like, oh, I don't know how many stories we get a day, but <laughs> we don't get to post them all. But yeah, just amazing the variety of what people are up to and what the challenge, yeah, their challenges are and their wins and losers and yeah, all that sort of stuff. It's um, quite remarkable. And yeah, it's that whole, gets talked about a lot, that whole story about how we're trying to connect with the consumer on the other side of the world or even in town and tell them the story about where their food is coming from and how it's grown. And I think, you know, we've got a pretty big audience, you know, overseas and in cities um, and people that just love it. And um, so it's pretty cool to kind of be the conduit and give all these people out there, you know, a, a mouthpiece if they want it, and um, and show off where you know where they're working. And because otherwise, you know, people would, would never have seen seen these things and seen these places. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think what I was so I think about you know, um, there's likes of Alperium. Yeah, out there, you know, giving people a voice, and it's, I guess, yep. that what the page is also providing is an example of people doing stuff, and so, like, you know, even even to begin with, like Dollar, sort of thinking, well, I'm I'm alone, so maybe somebody else is is a bit of a loan out here, and we can have a yard, and then seeing yeah. some, somebody doing something good for for other people, and in, in, in the industry in one part of the country means that all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of people doing some good stuff. All around the country, and then those people come together, and then all the, their efforts gain gain force and gain momentum, and and yeah. um, and the market's reached. So I think it's just this massive beast, and like you say, all these offshoot pages now is just pretty remarkable from 
one guy sharing, and it's something I've written about in my blog, you know, often when you do share your heartache, um, you, you resonate with a bunch of people and then you create this amazing community of people coming from the same place who, you know, share a passion yeah. and, and it's pretty bloody awesome. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, as much as social media can be, it can have obviously its negative side and there's always going to be those knockers and the odd meathead turning up saying something stupid or running you down or whatever. It's um, on balance. Um, it's amazing the support someone, you know, if someone's genuinely struggling, um, you know, it's amazing how quick people rally behind them and will get in touch with them in person. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, you think about the people that, uh, that I've, you know, bumped into over the years, uh, you know, you've become quite, I've become quite good friends with them and then, yeah, I help, you know, help them through some tough times and they've helped me through a few as well. So it's, um, these people you would never have otherwise met and they don't need to be like a big name star that you read and about in the Farmers Weekly or something. Yeah. It's, um, it's just like this guy, this guy Kano, who's this buddy cow whopper and Vakitaranaki, something you know, who can have a <laughs> profound effect on you. And it's just, yeah, it's pretty cool. And um, yeah, so I mean, that's the whole, when you are, you know, when you think about why the hell you do it and you wonder sometimes, you know, it takes up a considerable amount of time and you just have to have a few interactions like that or see someone that's helped someone else out and that's just so bloody cool. But, um, yeah, I was talking with um, the guy I'm doing coaching with today and he was kind of trying to get at why, why do I do podcasting and it was... He sort of saw that, in essence, you're sort of giving out a whole bunch of stuff for free and, and whatever, but then actually, yeah. because you're giving out stuff, stuff comes back, and then, like you see, you start to see these ripples and, and people exchanging yeah. that, you know, it just becomes its own little beast, and, and you yeah. just, you know, just starts to fulfil you as well, which is really, yeah. really pretty incredible. Um, on the flip side as well, you put kind of showcasing some of those larrikins that people only really would have known about down at the pub and, and, and their tall yeah. stories. Now now um, some of those tall stories have some truth to them because uh, people were recording the amazing feats yeah. and sometimes questionable feats that they're up to. <laughs> yeah, well, if it's, uh, if it's not on the gram, that it really happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of... Um, yeah, I mean, that's one thing I really do get a kick out of. It causes a bit of conflict. Um, those guys, you know, people who are, might be pushing the envelope a bit or, you know, <laughs> they like to let loose um, a bit, which I think that's just that whole, again, it's that old Kiwi persona that um, it's kind of called cut loose. And sometimes that happens on a farm and it might be on a four-wheeler in work time. But... Um, yeah, it's, um, that's just a whole part of it. And some, some people don't like it, but yeah, I think it's just part of what makes um, what makes farming bloody fantastic is to um, not only be the place you work, but also the place you play yeah. as well. Because if, if you're not having fun and, you know, not having a laugh at the same time, then what's the point? Yeah. So, Friday's fresh. Fridays are always good for, for two reasons. There's uh, there's feeding out and then there's uh, fucking it up. And <laughs> <laughs> Again, yeah, yeah. bit of polarity on yeah. the page, eh? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we don't like, deliberately do that to be antagonistic, but it's a genuine, you know, there's a lot of teetotalers and things out there that think that that sort of stuff shouldn't be on the internet, but um, that's just one of those things of telling our story and, yeah, it's... Doing skids on four wheelers isn't your cup of tea. There's, believe it or not, there's other people that um, that do quite enjoy that. So um, each to their own, and um, wear a helmet, kids. Yeah, that's right. It's so some of that sort of uh, devils and minerals, as you said, your day job. What is it about um, guys that are in, in cropping that uh, they're just a little bit nuts? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's. Uh, <laughs> Sitting in a tractor for 12 hours a day probably does it, dear. <laughs> oh, I don't know. No, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. 
it's a very uh, democratic answer I like yours yes yes. diplomatic answer that's the word (laughs) yeah yeah and um, as you said you need someone to load planes Um, do you can you jump in one or or that's another um, dream of yours Um, I think um, yeah I mean like I've said I would when I was at school I'd just was dining out on those Chopper Boy, you know, Rex Forrester books and yeah. Chopper Boy and, uh, you know, the legendary uh, Alan Bond that used to live around here. You know, he was always flying over all the time. And um, I was absolutely adamant I was going to go and be a chopper pilot and then absolutely sucked at physics <laughs> at school. But, um, for some reason, I let that stop me giving it a crack. Like, you know, it's one of the life's regrets. But, um, yeah, I would love to go flying, but you know, you, you got to. That's, you know, that's one of the big things about the ag industry. You, know, you see an ag pilot, you know, you see like especially chopper pilots. They look like they've got the dream life, but and the same with top racing pilots. It looks pretty cool and pretty romantic, but it's you know what the the sacrifices you got to make to go flying and actually get a seat doing an ag flying job is um, nothing short of remarkable in terms of sacrifice. Um, financially and time and that sort of thing. So um, it's more than I can handle at the moment uh, to go flying. But, uh, maybe one day if I get sick of deer farming, I might have a midlife crisis. <laughs> well, um, for the near future, there might be a, a few 500 or so in his own pilots that might like to take up egg flying as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've, I hear there's, there's a real shortage of... Um, uh, helicopter pilots with their ag rating. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that could be an opportunity for any aspiring pilot who's sick of flying a 747 to uh, go, and, go and get your uh, fixed wing, uh, all your ratings up to date and get an ag rating and away you go. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, get uh, fertiliser on some of the amazing country. Mate, um, yeah. Oops. Obviously, it's uh, still pretty new news, and especially when it comes to New Zealand. But um, there must be a few worried people in the in the industry about what it means for our exports and, and getting our produce out there. You know, on top of what's been a pretty dry summer from New Zealand standards. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what's sort of coming into the page? That's um, main. <clears throat> Back, I don't know, probably a month or six weeks ago when that drought was really starting to bite and you know, people were making those good decisions and lighting up their stock numbers and um, trying to get kill space, uh, particularly the cattle. Uh, I think it came as a bit of a bolt out of the blue when the, oh, the email came around from Silverfern Farms to say, no, nah, shutting up shop for a few days until we sort out this uh, shipping debacle and you know i talked to quite a few people that had entire unit loads of prime cattle ready to go and they were desperate for them to go because they needed the feed and um they got cut from a whole unit load down to nine or mm. eight or something and um yeah it's pretty uh pretty sobering um you know because we're at the, t- at the time you know because you can plant yourself in that position pretty quick but we were really lucky with what we were selling uh, at the time, the lighting up deer were pretty un- uninterrupted because you know the venison's still going to Europe at the moment, so um, that was largely un- uninterrupted. So we were really lucky about it. Um, we took a strategy of um, instead of just quitting everything early, we we sort of staggered things every couple of weeks. We'd send another uh, another handful away just because you never. It's a hard thing from a business perspective to try and plan for when it's going to rain so mm. we, we took that um, strategic approach and just sort of did it little by little um, and uh, yeah well, luckily we were uh, able to get get what we wanted killed when we wanted it killed so um, we were pretty lucky yeah and so obviously you know that's one now two more things that's that's on the mind of a farmer uh, what what do you think um, from the community perspective? you guys sort of provide and then you know as, as a channel what are you guys you know sort of focusing on promoting and during sort of harder times you know, i think it's just really we're just there for whatever you know we're just 
we never really set out with a big plan. You know, if something happens, some big event, whether it's an earthquake or a flood or whatever, we never set out with a, right, we're going to do this. But it's pretty well following a lead, like just whatever the demand is, um, that's generally how we react. So, um, yeah, we've got to think pretty quickly on our feet sometimes and um, as to what the best course of action is and what you know, how we can help people out and uh, what's needed. So, um, you know, we've been thinking a lot, you know, because we're in a drought this out, you know, even though um, we've got green grass out there um, <laughs> now, um, you know, the drought hasn't been far from a mine all year um, and, you know, later part of last year. So, um, people affected by drought because I'm one of them that's um, front of the mind. Um, but then obviously then we had some floods down south and now this whole uh, coronavirus, um, it's like a whole other unprecedented sort of disruption um, to life. So we'll just be as ready and prepared as we can for ourselves and, uh, and to help out as much as we can to whoever needs it. So. Um, yeah, well, I've just yeah, I was just talking last night with the Rural Support Trust, who um, you know they, they were going to have a whole heap of drought drought shout events, which is a real cool thing to do whenever there's a big drought. I want us to get people get people off the farm and try and blow off some steam. But obviously now we've hit this weird thing where we can't actually get off farm and help people out. So. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a, going to be a bit of a thing. So we'll probably help out, see what we can do around trying to do something online um, to sort of let people vent a bit. And um, so we'll see where that goes. But uh, yeah, she's interesting times. Absolutely, and, and you know, you bring up the drought. I was when we were in New, northern New South Wales, they were doing it pretty tough with drought, and we sponsored a. I think we ended up getting about 50 bales um, from our rugby match. But as you said, something like this virus thing, it might not be that anyone's allowed to play rugby or <laughs> soccer or whatever yeah. whatever they want to do. Um, so yep. things things might get quite strange for a little while, really. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, every day is a school day, that's for sure. And, um, <laughs> we'll, um, yeah, don't, yeah don't, know, don't know what the answer is just yet, but we'll... Um, yeah, we'll stick our heads down and um, roll our sleeves up and see how we can um, get through it. So, and, but I think yeah, the big thing, you know, the communities when th- when the going gets tough, especially in the rural communities, that's when they really get going. Um, that whole community spirit is um, pretty unshakable. So, um, no one's really alone. Um, you know, we're, we're all in it together and. Um, we'll help each other out as best we can. So yeah. we'll all move forward together. Mate, you, you brought up um, two topics there, the, the droughts last year down down south and, and even through central Otago and then, um, of course, the Kaikoura earthquake. Um, what's some of the things you guys did behind the scenes, especially that Kaikoura uh, earthquake, that some people might not realise, um, you know, having a group, a central group, what can be facilitated, that Kaikoura stuff was pretty amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, that was, I mean, that's a prime example. Like we never, even, you know, that night the earthquake happened, we were making silage here until um, about one o'clock in the morning, I think it was, so, um, and it was raining the next morning, so I had a slight sleep in. Uh, we never felt the, any earthquake here, and well, I definitely didn't. I was um, sleeping pretty soundly, and then, um, and we woke up to what was in front of us was um, for a start I was like well there's not going to be a hell of a lot I can do um, but then the way it worked out was Tyler he was at the time he was building in Blenheim and got put off work for the day because obviously Blenheim was pretty buggered up um, so him and a few mates just you know had all his tools on his ute so they're like well we better just we'll go for a drive and if someone needs a hand, we'll help them patch up their house and put a bit of iron on the roof or whatever and just get people weather tight and just we'll go from there. And I think I think the way the whole that whole effort sort of kicked off was he sort of jokingly said, Well if anyone wants to chip in some diesel, let us know. And um, 
yeah, away she went, like fire. And then um, sort of concurrently with that, we started getting people through the inbox. We're like, oh, I've got my relative, you know, up such, such a valley. We can't get hold of them because all the phones are not there. And um, so we sort of had this push telegraph thing going. That, um, we were having people left, right and centre wanting to know if we'd heard from so-and-so up there or down there or... Um, so we, I think for the first week, we were sort of running almost 24 hours a day, sort of keeping a bit of a track of people who'd been asked about and people who had made themselves known. We run posts sort of like, are you, you know, do you know, has anyone talked to so-and-so? <laughs> and it was real just, it was, it was Mickey Mouse and just Heath Robinson, Heath, Heath Robinson as you can get, but um, we managed to piece it all together and I don't think there's one person on that spreadsheet that we didn't track down eventually in the end so um, yeah we sort of got through that um, yeah got through that and then all of a sudden there was all this demand coming for people needing help stop water and fence repairs and they would dare out and it was just an absolute clusterfuck so um, yeah, it was a challenging time and just about sent us mad um, <clears> because obviously, as well as that, um, you know, I had a full-time, you know, full-time job off farm and then I had I was in, just starting into velveting as well. And um, it was a pretty, nut, you know, busiest time of the year for me work-wise. And then, um, yeah, I sort of ended up helping out, facilitate a lot of stuff. And, um, yeah, it was... It was a busy few months and, uh, yeah, just about sent us mad and took us a few, fair few months to get over it once it was all sort of said and done. Um, yeah, it was some hard times, but um, the main thing was we made a difference, I think, and I can be pretty, for myself personally, it's one of the most, um, you know, it's not a lot of people know that I was actually busy doing it behind the scenes and other you know, people were just like, oh, I'm usually on the phone a lot anyway, but uh, <laughs> phones, phones in the air and um, emailing people flat stick. And um, yeah, I think one of, the, one of the tough things was I had my in-laws out here from Scotland and uh, it was one night I was just put the venison on the barbecue and the phone rang and there's a guy with a bulldozer up on like, Bluff Station or somewhere and his tracks got spat off and, uh, his home base was actually Kaikoura, uh, so obviously that was a a big round trip for him. And um, so that by dark that night, we had him a satellite phone delivered to him um, by plane, and um, he was able to talk to his son who was in Kaikoura to jack up the parts he needed and get him going again. So um, there's million. We should have really made um, had someone recording all that stuff because there's so much stuff I've just forgotten because it was just an absolute blur and people I talked to on the phone and who I can't remember but there's all these people that were just doing so many things um yeah it was so cool so cool yeah man it'd be uh something that uh, you could write a book on already and um yeah you know <laughs> you're gonna need you're gonna need some time to do that because <laughs> Well, maybe if uh, maybe if we end up in quarantine or something for a couple of weeks, yeah, <laughs> um, start writing a memoir or something. But um, yeah, we're certainly pretty proud of what we what we were able to do, and we couldn't do everything, but um, we gave it a bloody good crack and gave it everything we had. So um, yeah, and hand on heart, so we did the best we could. Uh, it was it was bloody awesome. I remember chatting to you, and you know, you're telling me about the all the deer farms and deer running out and game parks and all sorts that was that was going on up there. And, and you know, yeah, you saw those images of that that bunch of cattle standing on a island within within the middle of a paddock. It was pretty strange, strange stuff. And yeah, pretty amazing what the land can do. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing. You know, seeing. You know, especially those farms that were, you know, the most worst affected, and you see them now, how they'll sort of bounce back as best they can, and um, you know, hell of a ride for those guys, and um, some pretty dark times as well. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff happened that yeah, we won't be 
won't be forgetting, especially those dark times. But um, yeah, that's amazing to be at the other other end of it. And yeah, now it's almost a distant memory. So yeah, mate. Um, on the positive side, we what do you sort of see happening? I mean, it's probably pretty hard to predict because it's all been so random so far. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to say we sat down and planned it all out meticulously and we're these experts at um, picking so, you know, social media algorithms and this, that and the other. And I, that's, um, that's, well, I mean, a lot of it isn't by luck. We, you know, we've done some things and we've learned a lot of stuff along the way what to do and what not to do and how not to do it. And that's always changing. Um, changing along the way but um but yeah it's pretty cool to have got to where we're at for some people who knew nothing about social media or uh dsa you know dare i say journalism or you know because i guess we're, we're kind of a in a loose kind of way we kind of are, are a media platform in a way so it's um something i never thought we'd end up i'd end up doing um, at all, but um, my English teacher probably can't believe it either. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, we've got some big, you know, we've always got big ideas, and you know, the whole team uh, on the page were all some pretty good thinkers there, and it's an amazing group, and we do have some pretty big ideas about where we want to go next and things I think we can do. Um, you know, things like this is the first podcast I've ever done, but we've, we'd love to do a podcast and get these, like these legendary Kiwis that are out there, um, get their stories, get their stories told. And there's some ripper yarns and some ripper people. <laughs> and, it's, um, and especially with probably one of New Zealand's um, highest ranking uh, Instagram pages, I just brought it up 38,000. Point one, so there's already yep. a, a pretty well established audience. And I know um, moving to the Hawks Bay, I've introduced a, a couple of farmers to uh, to podcasts, even even if it's you know catching up on um, rural report. What's that one? Hamish McCoy does. Oh, rural exchange. Rural exchange. You know, even if it's catching up on that, whenever you want, you know, um, people that spend a lot of time driving around in trucks, it's it's uh, all those yeah those contractors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. amazing, like the guys out, out there in tractors and uh, combines. You know, I talk to guys all the time, uh, even like clients and stuff. And, you know, they'll be out in the combine. I'll be, like, oh, you listen to this, listen to this podcast about such and such the other day, and you know, he'll be like, right, I'm going to harvest some wheat this afternoon, so I'll crack that, you know, get that going. And um, yeah, it's amazing the information that can be there while you're doing some pretty mundane tasks. So um, yeah. No, bloody this awesome. whole, the whole, I guess that sort of feeds into the whole success of what, what we've done and people who are along the journey with us is, um, you know, it's all pretty open source and it's like the whole podcast thing in a nutshell, isn't it? That's all this information and experience yeah. that people are prepared to give up and um, teach other people and, you know, learn from others at the same time. It's, um, yeah, pretty cool. No, it's absolutely awesome, and um, yeah, I look forward to the NZ Farming uh, podcast. So, you you got Facebook, you've got Instagram. Is there anywhere else to find them? Obviously, the store. Where's that? Uh, so the store uh, is just uh, what is it? NZFarmingStore.com, I think. Yeah. And uh, there's a link. There's a link. Uh, link to from our Insta. Um, uh, you can track us down pretty quick. So. Uh, um, yeah, um, and we are. We've got a few presents on other platforms as well. I just started a TikTok account the other day. <laughs> um, uh, I think we've still got a Snapchat account somewhere and a YouTube account, which um, you know, YouTube's probably something we want to get into a bit more as well. Um, if we can only get the time to um, put into going and making making some content, so um, yeah. Watch the space. I say New Zealand farming's not done yet. TikTok, man, I haven't even tried that one yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone actually messaged me and said, "Oh, oh, I didn't know you guys were on it," and I was like, "We're not." And uh, there's these couple of wee uh, wounders that are um, ripped off our logo and have, uh, you know, kind of started a 
taken the liberty of starting their own account under our name sort of thing. So we had to sort of get in there and give them a, a bit of a hurry up. So. Have a chat. I, I do lie, actually. I started a Musical.ly account, which was pre, pre-TikTok, so I've kind of been there. <laughs> <laughs> no, very good. Mate, um, what would you like to leave, leave us with? I think from a um, wide-ranging rural perspective, uh, what's something that you don't think, you know, does the rural person wrong, you know, that always shows up as, as something that's consistent about um, the industry and I think the backbone of this country? <laughs> yeah, well, I think... Um you know, it's just for people who are wondering what goes on out here, we're right here and we're ready to talk, you know, ready to have a yarn to you. And, um, you know, it's, um, you know, open arms. And if your ears and eyes are open to learning genuinely what's going on, um, we're really keen to talk and um, connect with you. And, you know, because there's nothing... It comes down, to, you know, for me, it's like um, when you sit down and you've got some of your own venison in the freezer and you have friends or family or friends of friends who are dropped in from overseas and you can sit down and enjoy a meal of venison with them. It's um, a pretty special thing to be able to tell them the whole story of how that animal came to be and, um, you know, you see the enjoyment on people's faces, you know, when they enjoy something that you've produced all the way from putting the fertiliser on the paddock all the way through to buying the stag to that sort of thing. That's a pretty special um, thing to be able to get to experience um, with with that person who's enjoying it. So, uh, um, and I guess what to say about the present situation is, uh, yeah, I guess we can, from lessons learned, it's to expect the unexpected and um, those hard times are actually they're what make us in the end at the other, at the other side because we learn so much and we grow as people and we grow with other people and um, it's a pretty special experience um, you know the ride that you can go with these people you don't even know um, people you don't know end up being your firm friends and that's a one hell of an adventure, so that's uh, pretty cool. Wicked, man. Uh, I love what you're saying about the provenance of, of what's on the table and, and the story. And yeah. someone that's uh, worked in a number of rural communities now, it's always the uh, farmer that comes in that makes me run late because we just end up chatting about where they've worked and what, what stock class they're running and what's happening. And, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely love it and, and I'm very privileged to interact. Uh, with the community and, and I love um, being part of Next Generation Deer Farmers page and, and following you guys along yeah. and uh, yeah it's awesome thanks so much for yeah. coming on mate um, and uh, I guess we'll thank Kane for giving you another nudge as well because we did talk earlier yeah. in the year and, 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 and uh, yeah that sort of pushed it forward a bit more it's awesome <laughs> yeah I mean, that's just how these um, how these inertia balls get going and uh, yeah good on Kane over talking of us so highly and I, I don't yeah it's um pretty cool to when you flick you know you go back to the thing of all your podcasts that i've listened to the caliber of people you've had on um and obviously the stuff you've imparted and those conversations too is pretty cool so um yeah it's a huge honor to have um, been invited on so uh, thanks for having us love it mate thanks so much cheers no worries what a fantastic conversation um as I said, love what the NZ Farming page is doing and what a way to end it. Uh, two really, really good points. Um, it's why I really love hunting. Like The provenance of something is so powerful and, and it sort of speaks to the core of, of human nature, telling stories. I mean, that's what this podcast is, isn't it? Telling stories, uh, why we love good books why we love good movies, um, good magazines, and even the likes of uh, Instagram and, and Facebook, as uh, bad as they can be and addictive as they can be, they can also be hugely powerful and impactful. You know, following people like Cam Haynes and seeing his journey and, and following it each day is 
pretty bloody cool and, and the same with the food uh, the provenance behind it the story behind it it's what makes wine culture so powerful is, is the, the story that terroir I think is the word um, and that's the same with food particularly in this country you know there's the uh, clean and green image but there's also this incredible landscape of some of our backcountry high country stations uh, just absolutely incredible and I was lucky enough last week as I was saying in the podcast um, fencing with my mate down in Central Hawks Bay and sitting underneath the Royal Heenies um, deer farms either side a big smiggly station and behind um, cementeel cattle Romney sheep and uh Angora goats running around, seeing the birds, the wildlife, listening listening to the birds chirping. It uh, doesn't get much better than that, I tell you what. I was half serious that uh, fencing contracting or working on a farm but might be my new career and it's something I romanticise about, you know, throwing all the optometry game in and, and running away to a farm. But, um, yeah, uh, it's definitely the dream to own that deer farm one day and talking to a bloke today uh, I hope that sort of in 10 years the um, the embryonic stages of that dream can start to come to fruition and you know it's going to be cool to share the journey with all you people on the podcast um, obviously there's going to be some tough times and, and um, that speaks to the second point that Duncan made that those tough times and the the story and the hardship is what makes you better people and, and helps you to link with incredible people and turn those people that you never met into lifelong friends. And that's definitely been one of the rewarding factors of this podcast is, you know, being introduced to incredible people and, and expanding my life experience from hearing from other people that but come back to that story, um, hearing their stories and, and learning their lessons uh, through conversation and listening intently. And I hope that's what you get out of listening to this podcast because it's bloody awesome to do the interview and sit here on the other side, mostly on the other side of a laptop um, and on the occasions in person. And I hope to do more in-person um, podcasts soon. And I hope to get some audio equipment that I can take on the road with me and, and get better quality audio when, when I am sitting with someone in a spot. Um, but yeah, it's it's awesome. What a cool tool, what a cool platform, and I'm so thankful for all of you that are coming along for the ride. Um, sponsor, of course, is Waikito, W-A-I-K-E-T-0.proveitnow.com, um, P-R-U-V-I-T-N-O-W.com, and that's where you can get your hands on exogenous ketones to explore a bit of the ketogenic lifestyle, what it's like to be in ketosis, what it might be like to explore a little bit of fasting, um, I'm dabbling with a semi-carnivore lifestyle at the moment, I'm doing a good dose of bacon and eggs for breakfast, and then uh, thankfully after harvesting that deer on the hill on Saturday, I've got uh, plenty of venison, so enjoying that with a tonne of butter because it's so lean, so massive amounts of protein and, and um, some really good fats, um, and you're yeah, absolutely loving the energy of of sort of time-restricted eating and um, that keto, low-carb lifestyle. And, yeah, exogenous ketones help you tap into that massive energy and also can support you through a fast, as well as the keto protein, keto broth, keto teas, keto creamer to really support that ketogenic lifestyle. Check out the website. Direct shipping available in New Zealand, Australia, Canada, East Asia, um, USA, of course. There's another few spots up on there just on the top right-hand corner, tap on, your, on the drop menu for your country and uh, order direct to your door exogenous ketones from Prove It. Thanks so much for listening. Um, if you made it this far, I'd love it if you left us a review or a, or a rating on whatever platform you're enjoying this on. Share it with friends. Get in touch. Thanks again. You're awesome. Ta.